Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Communications and Media with ABWE, and we are here at the Radius Missiology Conference in Sun Valley, California at Grace Community Church. We're so grateful for Radius and for the important work that they're doing in training missionaries for the field. And I'm excited to have one of the conference headliners here joining us. Dr. Aubrey Sequera, thank you for joining us here. Thank you, Alex. It's a privilege to be with you, brother. Here. Now, uh, I don't know if everyone in our audience knows you. So briefly, who are you? Where are you ministering? How's the Lord using you right now? Yes, so I am the senior pastor of the Evangelical Community Church of Abu Dhabi. That's the capital city of the United Arab Emirates. I've served there for six years. Uh, before that, I lived in North America for some time. But prior to that, I was born and raised in South India and spent uh, most of my life there, came to faith in Christ there. Presently, uh, joyfully pastoring this church, we have people from 45 different nationalities in our congregation, and it's amazing to see uh, the Lord Jesus Christ um, work mm. Amen. Uh, in our midst. Yeah. So, a lot of white Western theology, that's what I'm getting right now, maybe not so much. <laughs> and less people think that I'm just saying goofy things off the wall, we do wanna dive into some important issues um, you and I have been talking even over the last few weeks and exchanging a few emails as well. Uh, the theme of this conference here right now at Radius is the clear gospel. Mm -hmm. So often on this show we talk about how we share this message, but, but this year we're just defining what is that message, right? And what are some of the methodologies or approaches to contextualization that are calling that message into question? Mm -hmm. And I know that's an area where you're passionate too, especially in this area that we've talked about multiple times on the show before, about honor and shame. Mm -hmm. Understanding that as a, as a paradigm for helping the gospel make sense in certain places, right? So there's the honor-shame paradigm, there's the fear-power paradigm, there's the uh, guilt-innocence paradigm as well. And the, the thinking goes that, hey, most of the way that we share the gospel is really just within this guilt-innocence paradigm, but also let's talk about these other kind of cultural lenses as well. So you've done a lot of important work in that area. My question to you, Aubrey, is when we discuss these issues, this came up recently in a conversation that we had. We just did a two-part interview with Brad Vaughn, who a lot of our listeners will know as Jackson Wu, mm -hmm. who's written multiple books on these issues. Uh, when those topics come up, we quickly end up talking about why did Christ die? Who did he die for? What is that atonement? What purpose does that have, right? Is it to take away our guilt? Is it to take away our shame? Is it to do a combination of all of these things? So in your view, how do we approach these things and how have you seen advocates for this honor-shame system, this method of contextualizing the gospel? What do they do with the atonement? Yeah, thank you, Alex. Uh, so first things first, I want to be clear. I was raised in an honor-shame culture and honor and shame are not only realities in the cultures of the world. Honor and shame are biblical categories yes. that uh, we find in the Bible. The yeah. Bible was written itself in an honor and shame culture, yeah. and scripture is full of the categories of honor and shame. So it's important for us to integrate honor and shame in our proclamation of the gospel and the whole counsel of God. Yeah. Uh, where we are concerned is when uh, honor and shame or the, you know, the embrace of honor and shame categories leads to the downplaying of the centrality of penal substitutionary atonement. Yeah. So what we find these days, what I've found is in mission circles, uh, we have a number of advocates for an honor-shame approach. Let's call them the honor-shame missiologists. 
uh, they begin to treat penal substitution mm -hmm. in one of three ways or more, one or more of these three ways, right? So first you have some who will outright reject penal substitution. Uh, and here I'm thinking about the uh, 2000 book, the book that was published in the year 2000, uh, Recovering the Scandal of the Cross okay. uh, by Joel Green and Mark Baker. So Joel Green is a New Testament scholar, Mark Baker is a missiologist. Uh, and they characterize penal substitution as bizarre, as uh, barbaric, uh, they say that it is a model that has developed from late 19th century uh, American understandings of justice. So they're not even blaming Luther. Yeah, they're blaming yeah. the 19th century. Yeah, they're Charles Hodge is the, way is later. the, is okay. the uh, yeah. punching bag there. And, and then they'll <laughs> say, uh, you know, it, 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 it ought not to be used. And they, they think that the work of Christ in its meaning and significance is capable of mul multiple interpretations. So they keep talking about the New Testament authors using no single model, and, and therefore, you know, they have mu a multiplicity of interpretations of the cross. And so in cultures like Japan uh, is the one that they point to, uh, which is an honor-shame culture. Uh, we ought to speak of the gospel and speak of the cross in terms of honor and shame. So they outright reject penal substitution. Okay. Uh, then you have somebody like Jason Georges. Yep. Uh, who wrote a book together with Mark Baker of yeah. Recovering the Scandals. They wrote yeah. a book called uh, Ministering in Honor and Shame Cultures. Yeah. And 3D Gospel and as well as Jason him. George's popular work is 3D Gospel. Yeah. And uh, he's an example of someone who doesn't outright reject penal substitution, right. but he relativizes penal substitution. And uh, you know, the, the over, overwhelming kind of uh, thesis here is that it's just one metaphor or one theory uh, right, of among the, others, among others. Yeah. and it needs to take its proper place among those other theories. Uh, and again and again, he keeps using the word Western, which is very frustrating to me as right. someone who is not Western uh, to describe penal substitution. And he says it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's a contextualization. Western just means anything we don't like. That, that's increasingly the case yeah. these days, yeah. Uh, so, you know, they will, he will say, Jason Georges says, this is a, uh, you know, penal substitution is great. Uh, Western theology has skillfully uh, kind of applied the cross to its context. So it's fine for a guilt, uh, innocence, or I, I prefer guilt, righteousness culture. Uh, but, you know, then you also have these other cultures. So in 3D Gospel, he presents, you know, uh, a truth encounter for uh, the West, or guilt-innocence cultures, a community encounter for an honor-shame culture, and then a, uh, a power encounter for a fear-power culture and context. And so when you look at his honor and shame culture, mm -hmm. there is no mention of the category of law, retributive justice, guilt, uh, Christ dying under the punitive justice of God. Which, by the way, is confusing, because where do you get shame without guilt, That's right. to separate yes, those yeah. things. It doesn't seem to me to make a lot of sense, but continue. Yeah, so we, yeah. I mean, we talk about Genesis 3 and how those things are related, yeah. but that's, so that's what uh, Jason Georges will do, yeah. is he is relativizing penal substitution, and it's uh, what I would say centrality. I think the Bible reveals penal substitution as the heart of the gospel, mm. right? It's, it's the sun that holds all the other mm. uh, metaphors of atonement in orbit, yeah. all right? Uh, explains their logic. It's the underlying logic of the cross. Uh, so he relativizes it. Then you have, uh, you know, someone else, uh, the, the man formerly known as Jackson Wu, uh, Brad Vaughn, right. who um, 
not only relativizes penal substitution, um, arguing that it's just one theory, but also, I would say, completely redefines it. Okay. So Vaughan has come out saying things like, I affirm penal substitution, yeah. but not its logic. And yeah, I said that on our show yeah, a couple weeks I, ago. Yeah, I, I listened to those episodes of yeah. the show, and I made my way very carefully uh, through his uh, recent book, uh, The Cross in Context. Yes. And uh, really what you have here is a complete redefinition of the meaning of penal substitution. Okay. So I think it's, it's not really, you know, it's, I would almost say it's disingenuous to say that you affirm the doctrine when you have redefined it in such a way that it does not conform to any of the classic articulations of penal substitution hmm. by theologians and scholars around the world. Okay. So, you know, I mean, you think of J.I. Packer's classic article on penal substitution, right? Uh, the logic of penal substitution. Um, and what did the cross achieve, right? Yeah. That's Packer's article. And he talks about penal substitution in terms of the punitive justice of God. Anyone, and, and Vaughan actually quotes several different people in his book. He keeps saying popular versions, but he quotes scholars. Oh, you're and, going back to Packer. I mean, you can go back to Anselm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, but every version that you would read of penal substitution speaks of God's punitive justice. Yeah. He says he affirms penal substitution, but he denies that atonement has anything to do with punishment. Mm. So he makes this redefinition uh, to say Christ paid our penalty, but he didn't take our punishment. Uh, and his argument there, if I followed him correctly in our conversation as well, he would say, well, you're mixing metaphors because a, a penalty, um, you know, it might be something you pay, like we use metaphors of payment, mm -hmm. whereas a punishment is something that you passively endure. So I think he's trying to say, is there a, maybe a monetary analogy? And again, I'm trying to understand him in context. Maybe there's a monetary analogy over here, but there's also a, a punitive analogy over here. And sometimes we use those interchangeably, right? He paid the price for you. That's kind of monetary mm -hmm. uh, by taking your punishment, right? That's, that's judicial. Yes. So is he right or wrong to separate those? How do you think he's misunderstanding those yes. categories there? So my, my issue with that is that when you look at the logic of the biblical authors, they see those as connected. And, and they see the judicial categories as fundamental. So, you know, Vaughn can say all he wants about mixing metaphors and all of this, but we could go through, go through the logic of Romans 3. The Apostle Paul loved yeah. mixed metaphors. Oh, yeah. Any th Pauline scholar will tell you. Yes, go through the logic <laughs> of, I mean, I studied under Tom Schreiner, who's a Pauline scholar. Oh, yeah. You just go through the logic of Romans 3, 21 to 26. Um, Paul talks about, you know, all of us having sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right. Uh, and we are justified yeah. by his grace as a gift, right? Yeah. So uh, he's using legal categories there. Yeah. Uh, and he's speaking about justification, our legal standing of righteousness before God through faith in Jesus Christ, which yeah. God grants to us as a uh, by His grace as a gift through the redemption yeah. that is in Christ Jesus. So now we've moved to the slave market and the monetary yeah. compensatory yes. uh, metaphor, right? Yeah. Christ paid the price for our deliverance to redeem us, to ransom us. And then he says, well, how was that redemption accomplished? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth 
as a propitiation in his blood to be received by faith. Yeah. Now, propitiation is a cultic metaphor. Yeah, it's right? a wrath-abating sacrifice. Absolutely. Now, you know, Vaughn takes a text like that, and uh, I find a lot of this in his book, is, you know, creative revisionist uh, mm. exegesis of some of the texts. Uh, some of his re revisionist exegesis is really a rehash of uh, old liberal arguments that want to do away with uh, punitive justice mm. and, and, and God's uh, wrath. Uh, and, and, you know, he, so he, he will talk about propitiation as being uh, entreating God, like an entreaty. Mm. So it's not something that involves absorbing wrath. But again, if you look at Paul's logic, right, he, he, he talks about in verses 25 and 26, God having done this, yeah, he because set it forward. He, yeah, he yeah. set Christ as a propitiation in his blood. Why? Because in his divine forbearance, yeah. he had passed over former sins, right? And the wrath of God is revealed against unrighteousness in Romans 1. Read it back from Romans 1 verse yeah. 18. Read Romans 1 32. They know the righteous decree of God that those who practice such things deserve to die. Yeah. All right. That and, sounds and so, punitive. Yes. yes. And, 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 and uh, here God has passed over former sins. Well, how is he shown to be a just judge if he has passed over the sins of the people under the old covenant when we know that the blood of bulls and goats don't take away sin? Well, he does so through Christ being the one who right. takes the uh, sentence of condemnation and the punitive wrath of God upon himself. And in, in this, God now shows himself to be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. Yeah. So, you know, you can talk all day long about, well, these are, uh, you know, payment metaphors versus uh, sacrificial or... Uh, but they're all legal. Know, le at yes, yeah, they're all legal. Yes, it's all yeah. related. And um, the other thing Vaughan says is that Christ um, pays the price, right, by dying uh, to pay our honor debt before God. In, in order to honor God through his death, uh, his death is, uh, the death of Christ pays our debt of honor. Right. And, um, you know, it satisfies God's honor so that God is honored. God, Christ shows his honor to God by dying. Here's the question, well, why does he have to die? Right. <laughs> why couldn't Jesus have just lived a perfect life in perfectly honoring his father all the right. way through and then ascend into heaven? Right. Why death? Well, and, and you're, you're, saying, you're just saying the same thing as penal substitution at that point with different words. Yes. Because the, yeah, the, the honor debt is a debt of justice because justice demands that God be honored. Yes. And, and his honor, he receives honor when, when his, his wrath is poured out against sin. Yes. That's what honors his justice. Yes. When he, when he is shown to be one who punishes sin, right. who upholds his own Right. moral standard for the universe. Now, uh, this, this is where Vaughn, I think, is unhelpful in that he separates uh, the category of punishment there and the judicial category from the honor category, and I think that's problematic. Let, let me ask you a different question. Uh, and we can, we can keep diving into Vaughn and his claims because it, this is what we want to do on the show is have honest conversations about missions and theology. But you shared at the beginning about your own upbringing and background and, and current ministry mm -hmm. in what you characterize as honor and shame contexts. Would you say that culturally in places like Southern India, in places like the UAE, honor and shame are understood without reference to guilt and innocence, without reference to penalty and, and legal categories, or 
are they integrated there in those cultures? Um, in ways that are different from the Bible, okay. right? And it's, it's patterns of thought. Yeah. So in, in our cultures, honor and shame uh, are really kind of tied to community standards, right? Uh, so, uh, you know, your uh, shame arises when you break those community standards, okay. when you show disloyalty. Honor and shame is kind of like a social credit score, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, We're in California, know, that's, that, that's <laughs> all in all the rage right now, yeah. Yeah, so your uh, rank in the community yeah. uh, plays a big role, and, and how you live in the community and abide by those community standards. Um, so if you think about how our cultures think about it, honor and shame is primarily horizontal, right? Yeah. Uh, abiding by the community's norms and, and showing loyalty and keeping your reputation and keeping your face. Well, in the Bible, honor and shame is not just tied to the horizontal, uh -huh. it is tied to that which is vertical, right? right? It's God, these categories Most are God-centered. Yeah. God-centered. And honor and shame in the scripture is tied to obedience or disobedience to God's law and to his you know, framework of righteousness. Yeah. So we have to go back to Genesis, right? Yeah. You go back to Genesis. Yeah. God made you and you owe him. <laughs> yeah, God, God is our creator. He is worthy of our honor. And God gives Adam and Eve a command, right? Genesis 2, 17, of any tree of the garden you may eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you will surely die. There's law, and there's an objective standard, mm -hmm. and there is punishment spelled out for disobedience mm -hmm. to God's law. And by disobeying God's law, of course, we dishonor him, yeah. right? Uh, Adam and Eve, of course, deceived by the serpent, rebel. They dishonor God by breaking God's command. Yeah. And then, right after their fall, they invent an honor and shame religion, right? Intuitively, they cover mm. themselves yeah. with fig leaves, yeah. covering their shame, but not dealing with their guilt. Mm. And if honor mm. and shame was the root, if shame was the root issue, then the fig leaves, the fig would, leaves would suffice. Wow. Why, why do we need yeah. them to, why do we need an animal slain and Adam and Eve to be covered in these bloody garments of skin mm is because God has spelled out the punishment for disobedience to his commands in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And he now provides for Adam's guilt and shame to be covered. So following the logic of what you're saying, one of the critiques that you would have of those who want to relativize the honor-shame approach with the guilt-innocence approach is that it's, it's not going deep enough that actually man since his fall mm -hmm. has been creating systems of honor and shame that don't address the guilt. And if missionaries are doing that in their own ministries as well, not addressing the guilt and the innocence or guilt and righteousness, I like that distinction. Innocence is not the same as righteousness. Mm -hmm. Righteousness is far more than innocence. But if missionaries aren't addressing that deepest level, if they're only addressing the superficial community standards of honor and shame, you're saying they're, they're actually missing the core of the gospel. That's right. Uh, and I, I do think we are undermining the heart of the gospel message. And also we are accommodating ourselves to the culture. 
you're beginning to operate in culture, cultural categories of honor and shame instead of biblical categories. In the biblical categories, you cannot unhitch honor and shame yeah. from guilt and righteousness. Yeah. And, and it becomes very problematic when we do that. And then they begin to find creative ways to explain other texts. I mean, all of the sacrificial system, right? The Passover sacrifice, the, the Levitical sacrificial system that then comes is tied back to Genesis 2.17, yeah. right? And yeah. you can't read this now separated from that. Yeah. Uh, our fundamental problem is that we stand condemned before a holy God. Yeah. Um, I, this is practical on so many levels, even for those of us that are here in the States or mm -hmm. in, in Western countries. Uh, I think it's important that we don't think of these as just missionary issues happening in foreign, faraway places, that these are affecting us here. Uh, at the time of this recording, we're in June. It's, it's so-called Pride Month, right? In other words, we see a culture that is glorying in its shame. That's right. And the answer to that is not just turning to, to honor God, right? But the answer to that is the blood of Jesus. Mm -hmm. The answer to that shame is that Christ died for the guilt of this nation, yes. of this culture, of this generation, the public flagrant, wicked sins that we glorify in the open air right now throughout our country and other countries as well, that Jesus died for that kind of thing, that people can be freed from the guilt of that kind of thing. That's the answer to our shame. And obviously that's the answer on the mission field as well. So let me ask you this, Aubrey, if somebody wants to dive deeper, uh, maybe they've read Vaughn's work, uh, whatever their opinion of that is, how can they hear more from your perspective? Obviously you're speaking here at the conference so they can go and listen to your talk as mm -hmm. well when those recordings are made available. Uh, where else can they go to, to hear more of maybe what you've spoken about or, or written on these topics? Yeah, so uh, Anand Samuel, my beloved colleague, he pastors uh, uh, another church in my country and myself. Um, we uh, wrote a couple of articles a few years ago in dialogue with uh, Brad Vaughn, mm. whom we knew as Jackson Wu at the time. Right. Uh, the, these are both on nine marks. Uh, so the first one was called Nothing to be Ashamed of. Uh, penal substitutionary atonement in honor and shame cultures. And, and then, uh, of course, Brad Vaughn, uh, Jackson Wu, uh, responded to that article uh, with a series of blog posts. Uh, and, and then we provided a, a more detailed uh, mm -hmm. response to him that covers all the key issues. And uh, that was called Still Not Ashamed. Yeah. And uh, so the those titles are, of these things, they just write themselves, yeah, yeah, don't yeah. they? These, these were, uh, that's a good starting point. Yeah. But I would also highly recommend, I just came across this uh, book, a uh, couple of books recently, uh, E.D. Burns. Yes, I uh, was has, just gonna, yes. I was gonna ask you after yeah. we stopped recording. Yeah. Oh yes, fantastic. Transcultural, yeah. Transcultural gospel, gospel, I think yeah. is a fantastic yes. alternative yeah. uh, to the work of um, Jason George's. Yeah. And then he's written a more detailed version of that uh, with Ancient Gospel, Brave New World. Yes. Uh, that's a 450 page uh, um, articulation. Yeah. So I would recommend. Yeah, uh, what I gave he a blurb says. for the back cover of that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, well, he's doing some important work. He puts moral code, and it's it's violation or or, or lack thereof at the center yes. of all those cultural paradigms: honor, shame, guilt, innocence, all of it. That's yeah. right. And if, if someone is interested in uh, fear and power cultures, yeah, uh, there is uh, a friend of mine named Matt Deaver. Okay. Uh, Matt Deaver has written, not Dever, Deaver, D-E-A-V-E-R. Yeah. Ah. Uh, he's uh, written an article that was published in the Journal of Global Christianity on atonement in penal substitutionary atonement and fear power cultures. And that also happens to be the subject of his mm. entire uh, PhD dissertation wow. that he just completed at Midwestern Seminary. Fascinating, so important, so timely. Isn't it amazing that here we are, it's the year 2023 and we're still 
yeah. defending the simple faith that was given to us yes, <laughs> two amen. millennia ago. Yes, I want to go back to that. And it's, yeah. it's the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Yes. Uh, and we ought not to, you know, exchange the heritage of this glorious gospel for a cheap red stew of a culturally contextualized half gospel. Mm. And, and, you know, the whole charge of this being Western, uh, I keep hearing this again and again, you right. know, let's, uh, we, we, Jason Georges even says, you know, if we export this uh, gospel of penal substitution, Western theology, and we elevate it to the level of biblical truth, then we're guilty of some kind of theological uh, colonialism. Uh, what, I, what, I think that they, <laughs> what, what I think that they miss here is that their entire hermeneutic itself is an act of theological colonialism. They've mm. unwittingly mm -hmm. uh, kind of done a kind of colonialism themselves because mm. the hermeneutic that I'm seeing these guys use uh, distinctively is distinctively Western and mm. postmodern, you yeah. know, where you're uh, yeah. affirming a kind of reader response, let's read it in light of these right. cultural perspectives, bring these to the oh, text. Oh yeah, it's the, it's the Western imperialist uh, hermeneutic of sophisticates, yes. right? You know, it's, it's the sociologists uh, type of colonialism. And, yeah. and, and then insofar as, I mean, both Georges and Brad Vaughan uh, are very clear proponents of the new perspective on Paul. Yeah, they, we talked about un, that. Uh, yeah. It's a clear affirmation of these ideas. And again, I think, you know, I think Michael Kruger's pointed this out and I think he's right. Uh, the new perspective on Paul, again, has the distinctive flavor of uh, the Western cultural moment, right? In, in, in inclusion, breaking mm -hmm. down barriers, yeah. uh, as opposed to talking about the guilt of sin. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, as someone from the East, right, who pastors people in our culture, uh, we want, I want to say, you know, every human being knows, we, we understand mm -hmm. guilt and righteousness. Mm. They know the righteous decree of God that do, those who practice such things deserve to die. Mm. And penal substitution is the only gospel that can save sinners mm. in, in every part of the world, in every age and culture. Amen. That'll preach. That'll preach. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to do another recording here with you as well in just a minute. And so if you're watching, if you're listening, stay tuned. Keep following your feed because we'll be putting out some more exclusive content here with Aubrey. We've got another important discussion coming up. But until then, thank you for watching or listening to the Missions Podcast. To get more content, go to missionspodcast.com. The Missions Podcast is a ministry of ABWE. Go to abwe.org to learn more and to get this content in front of other people, remember to leave us a positive rating and review in your podcast platform of choice. That genuinely helps this appear uh, in the rankings to bless more people, to be discovered by more people, to be discovered by missionaries on the field. You know, maybe there's a missionary on the field that's wrestling through this stuff that needs to hear this important perspective as well. And you can help be a part of that by leaving a positive review and sharing it with a friend. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you in the next episode.